Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Minute with Mark. So here's the setup. A few weeks ago, we get an email, and we get a lot of emails from entrepreneurs, from info marketers, from kind of like uh, audio journalists and stuff for interviews and things like this and that. And it's an it's an awesome thing to get. Well, anyway, we get this one, and most of the time we just say uh, we just pass on doing interviews and stuff because. Just a lot of times it's not worth the time. But anyway, this particular request said that the, the distribution of an interview with me would go to 100,000 people and it would be on a newsletter that would then promote um, anything I wanted it to promote as kind of a free ad inside this um, 100,000 person syndicated deal. So, you know, the team brings it to me and says, hey, you know, you should take a look at this. And the the person requesting is a longtime buyer, a big you know, a big supporter and fan and advocate and evangelist for you. And, you know, I think we should take a look. And I said, okay, um, so here's, here's lesson number one. So you hear that the old me would say hundred percent, let's do it. You know, uh, let's do it. Now the catch on it is inside the request was after the interview that I would send to my own list, one solo email requesting them to check out this newsletter. Okay, that was the ask. So the first ask was, you know, will you do an interview with us? The second ask was, if we do the interview, will you send one email on our behalf? All right, so here's the lessons. And this is a lot about something I call the gullibility index. And it's something with our kids where you, the gullibility index is how, how quickly and how easily are you gullible? And, or should I say, am I gullible? So what I asked the team to do is I said, number one, with the 100K people, it's kind of like a trust but verify. It's kind of like cautious trust. It's kind of, it's not skepticism. It's not unbelief. It's not uh, frowny, but it's like, yeah, well, let's just verify it real quick. So doing our due diligence. So the first question was, I said, how, how was the list generated? I want you to ask the person requesting how the list was generated. How was it sourced? Meaning, because how that list was sourced depends on what the 100K actually mean. The second question I had the team ask is, what are the open rates? Can you send a screenshot of the open rates when you mail to this 100-person newsletter? Okay, now, here's why we're doing this. Because 100K doesn't mean anything to me. If you get in 2% open rates and, you know, half of them are considered spam, Big deal. Now, the third question that we asked was, can you send us two examples of previous newsletters? So the request was made to us. And then I said, okay, that's super cool. I love supporting my buyers. My, you know, like that's what I, that's why I exist in a lot of ways is to see them prosper and stuff. So I'm honored for the invite, but basically ask them how the source, how the list was sourced screenshots of the last several emails open rates because we want at least 10 to 20 percent open rates on that because 100k with 10 percent open rates is like do the math it's 10,000 people it's not 100,000 people and then two previous newsletters because it's kind of brand protection where I don't want my name and image in you know the internet make money hustler version of like gross make money I just don't want to be on in, on those platforms. So it was just a trust but verify thing. And what happened was it came back. And what we found out was the 100K was assuming I would say yes, which would add to 
20K. And then if I said yes, a handful of other experts would say yes because the inviter could say Hoverson's on board and then that would lean kind of a domino thing. And then because of that, there would be 100,000 people getting mailed. So in other words, this list had yet to be created. Okay, so there was a zero, there was literally a zero list. And now the person who invited me to the interviews listens to my podcast faithfully. So, um, you know, you know who you are and I love you. And, you know, we, we talked on this and, you know, don't, don't, I want to be educational and gracious and stuff on this. Um, and I think it's instructive for a lot of people just for, for not being gullible and learning how to ask questions. But anyway, so we found out the list didn't exist. And that the newsletter had never been sent before, okay? So anyway, once we find that out, it was kind of like, okay, that little balloon was popped. And I'm not saying it was a lie. I'm not saying it was clever or cunning. Um, it was just like we have a, you know, it was just like, it's not calling bullshit. It's just, you know, not being a sucker. And this is like, you cannot be an inner, an entrepreneur in this world and be a sucker, or you will be sucked dry. Like you're just going to lose your money to everything <laughs> and you're not going to make any money. So anyway, um, so those are a couple lessons. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some insight in there, but regardless, because this particular inviter, uh, just purchased a new thing from a new product from us and reported so glowingly on it. I said, you know what, we're actually going to say yes to the interview. And then this is another thing called, I call it reading moments. And so there's the gullibility index, which is how easily are you fooled? Okay, that's the first thing. And the higher and tighter and intense your gullibility index is, the clearer you can look and see through fake marketing, you can see through um, goony things. But it's not like it's not like a pride thing where you say, "Oh, I I can see them for who they are." That's when you just in your personal gut, you know. Pe some people think like I can really read people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about asking real questions with empirical data responses. So some people think they have supernatural powers of reading people, and any time I hear somebody say that, I'm just like, "Okay, yeah, okay." Um, but anyway, so the gullibility index. Um, isn't an internal feeling, it's a factual find. Meaning, okay, you know, like I said, how was the lead, how are the leads sourced? Please send screenshots of the last open rates and two examples of the previous newsletters. Now, that may seem off-putting and a little strong and a little harsh, but in Proverbs, it says that a rich man answers roughly. It's usually translated roughly and a lot of Bible translations were put together by collectives of theologians, not um, not necessarily linguists who are just coming to the text. Um, it's it's a weird thing. The Hebrew there could be a rich man answers sternly, a rich man answers matter of factly. That's the way it should be translated, but over the centuries, um, biblical translation committees tend to error on the side of anti-wealth. Um, it's a strange phenomenon and it, it is just, it is what it is. But regardless, um, where am I on this thing? I lost myself. Um, where was I at? Wait for it. Cue the Jeopardy music real quick while I'm thinking where I went on this. Oh, oh, okay. So it could seem like me asking those questions was just kind of being a dick. 
But what I wanted to do is I, add her, I answer matter-of-factly, very bluntly, very, I just want the facts. Okay, so we found out the reality of the situation right away. So we had, so we found that out. But we also decided that we would do the interview because um, the asker, the inviter, uh, was a great, is a great person. It's just period, just a great person. And I knew it would be a great interview. So we do the interview. And then right before I say yes, though, Okay, and there's a promotional packet. And a lot of times they want you to sign, like, guarantee you'll, you'll sign for this. Now, here's the thing with reading moments. Reading moments is, in Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time and a purpose for everything under the sun. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to hug. There's a time to stop from hugging. There's a time to sow. There's a time to reap. There's a, there's a time for things. And in business, the time for negotiation is before the signature. Never. You're not allowed. We are not allowed to start negotiation after a signature or after a yes, whether that's a signature or a verbal, you know, agreement. So I looked at this real quick and it was kind of like, hey, do you want to sign this thing to, you know, promise once we do the interview, you'll mail the list. And I said, well, we'll do the interview and you can have that and, and use that for your project because we want to support your project. However, I, I do want to reserve the right to not mail if I see, uh, once I see the marketing, if I don't think it's up to par, just give me a green light to not mail. So here's the thing. Had I not read that moment, because it's reading moments, and I have a whole training on it inside another product, Solomon. But there's a moment there. And if I just said, yep, we're game, we go for it. And then I see the marketing, it's not up to par. And I say, oh, I just, I'm not going to mail this to my list. All of a sudden, all my integrity with that inviter is gone. It's history. It's smoked. It's cooked. I'm an asshole. I'm a liar. And it's true. That that would literally be true. Had I not the, and it, you know, I've made enough mistakes to start like, you know, it's taken a while, but I've made enough mistakes to realize like the time to ask for concessions, protections are before a project, not after, not after agreements have been made. And so anyway, um, so the short story is I looked at the marketing and it wasn't up to par. Like the website was a little janky. Once you opted in, the thank you page was a dead end. So it didn't, it didn't take you into our interview fast enough. The email sequence was like a bizarre reply to, you know, whitelist this email address because we're going to mail more. It was just unacceptable. So I looked at it for like five to seven minutes. It was unacceptable. So at this point, here's here's another layer of business. Um, could have very easily just had someone from the team hit the inviter back and say, hey, we looked at everything and we appreciate the opportunity to, you know, do the interview and stuff, but we're not going to mail um, because it just didn't meet standard. So we could have done that and we would have had integrity in that and it would have been fine and it would have been fair because I bought that concession before I agreed to everything. But what, what we did instead is I said, you know what, I'm going to reach out and personally talk with this person for 15 minutes because, you know, A, they bought a ton of stuff from us. They're great clients and they're great people. The interview was great. And I don't want the taste, the residual taste in the mouth to be like, you know, Hoverson just doesn't do what he says. And he's kind of a dick, you know, because at first I was like, you know, I got, I want to know how this list was sourced. I want to know all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, we do the interview and then he decides he's not going to mail anyway. 
And it's like, geez, this guy's like intense and like a dick. Okay, so I didn't want to leave that aftermath. Now, I'm okay, and it's a fact, if you do anything in this world of even nominal movement, people will think uh, you're negative towards you. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So I'm not, I'm not possessed with worried if, she, if that person was concerned about you know, who I was or whatever. But my heart was like, I want to I make this instructive. So actually got on the phone with them for like 15 minutes and I said, hey, real quick, you know, bottom line is I'm not going to mail. And, but I didn't want to just have someone from the team say, hey, Mark's not going to mail. Um, and if you got 10, 15 minutes, I'd love to just spend a little bit of time with you to coach you how I would improve that marketing because you've got a beautiful message. You're a beautiful person. You've got a legitimate, honest, everything going on. It's just the technicalities are kind of in the way and your, your mastery of instant response. It's not, it's not acceptable to, for my list. It's just, they would be puzzled by me mailing this. So anyway, how I start an awkward conversation is with transparency. This is something to just take. When you have an awkward thing, and this is, you know, most of these, most of my listeners on this podcast are executives, entrepreneurs, in authority positions where we fire people, we hire people, we rebuke staff, we have just tough decisions, and we have awkward, you know, not awkward conversations, but just some hard conversations. So when I'm in the midst of those, I say right from the start, I said, you know what? I'm not the best and this is a little awkward for me and I kind of fumble through it and you know hopefully hopefully this is what comes across cuz what I want to share to you right now is exactly what I'd share if you were my kid. Like if you were if you were my 30-year-old son, this is exactly what I'd say. I wouldn't mail for him either. And this is exactly what I'd say. Is it cool if I just go through that with you a little bit? Are you interested in that? See, now once you do that, <laughs> You are now in the presence of rapport. I now can say anything, or well, really not anything, but I can speak. I can speak my 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 share, and the heart has been addressed first. So, very important thing for leadership is to address the heart first, and acknowledge it, and acknowledge the reality, and acknowledge your own reality that hey, this is kind of a hard conversation. It's it makes I'm not like. I don't enjoy these kind of conversations necessarily, but, but I think there's something really great in it. And so what I shared was that, you know, you've got this, this great message. The interview is great and it deserves to go out to the world. And then I said, now I want you to ask yourself something. Um, would, would Russell Brunson, would it be acceptable? What would Russell do? Would he have that experience? The one that I looked at, you know, and I said, now I know you're not Russell Brunson. He's been doing this for 15 years and blah, blah, blah. Would Tony Robbins have that kind of experience? And I said, now, even though you're newer, you're newer. And, and I said, I admire you. You attracted, you know, you got an interview with me. You got an interview with a handful of experts. Like, I'm glad you did what you did. And I said, but here's the thing. There's a, there's this little technical gremlin and an instant response thing that is separate from you being a great person and having an important message and being able to impact people. I said, that's 80% of the game is having a good message that can transform life. I said, there's 20% though, that's pure technology, psychology, and the merger of instant respect 
or instant response marketing. And I said, if, if you, if you fail to master that, your message is going to die with just a handful of influence. And I said, your, your message deserves to go where you want it to go. And I said, it's, it's the, it's the marketing mind that if you could add that, it would be a slippery viral thing that you could do. And so I encouraged him and I, and I shared, I shared like four or five different um, things on how to improve the deal. And we talked for 15, 20 minutes. Now here's why I'm sharing that. This just happened. And the reason I'm sharing is, is, um, you know, who cares what the reasons are? Here's just a few of the takeaways. Number one is the gullibility index. When people tell you things, um, I'm not saying start off with disbelieving it. I'm just saying, what is the source? So when you're reading something, and it's, it could be media, it could be a book, you want to say, what's the source? Where's the, what's the worldview that this, this verbiage is coming from? Like the, the mastery of learning isn't reading things and believing them. That's the, that's the like highway to being indoctrinated. <laughs> that's not educated. It's indoctrinated. So you want to look at content and say, what's the source? What's the worldview? What's the underlying beliefs? And what's the reality of this communication? So you want to learn to be able to dig beneath it. And that's called the gullibility index. And how you discover that is you ask yourself questions like, what are the assumptions this author is coming from? Or in terms of, you know, we have a 100K email list and this newsletter goes out. And that is just a simple few questions. How is the list source? Can you send us open rates of the last three emails you sent and two examples of the, of the newsletters? That was easy, right? And because we did that, we had a, we had an, a clear-eyed perfection on what the truth actually was instead of believing something and being gullible, okay? So that's number one. Number two is social intelligence pays really well. It pays so well. It pays in relationship collateral. It pays in um, attracting great people in your life. It pays in just being being able to be in environments and and being socially intelligent. Now, here's the thing: reading moments. A lot a lot of us are illiterate to the moment. Okay, we can read books. We can read this and that, but it comes to a moment and you've got to learn to read the moment. And so when in business, when you're reading the moment, it's before a contract. That's when you get your tiny concessions. Like one time we bought our, when, when we bought one of our houses, um, the lot it's on was an additional X amount of thousand dollars. Okay. And I, I knew that I deliberately didn't bring a realtor into that sales office to purchase that house in that lot because I knew the realtor would receive it was you know the house was like 300,000 when we bought it I knew the realtor would get like 10 or 12,000 dollars of commission if I simply walked in with the realtor so I left the realtor out of it because I walked in and I knew once you walk into these kind of like master plan neighborhoods um you know they have their own in-house sales guy but they're required to pay the realtor that brought you to the table well anyway I didn't bring a realtor there on purpose, um, even though I was kind of working with a realtor and my realtor friends just chill out, that realtor should have known that that community would have been perfect for us, but he didn't want to bring us there. So, you know, it was ethical for me. Now he would look at me and say, well, well, Mark said, Dick, I was working with him. I didn't sign anything with him deliberately. Um, but again, I'm not beholden to, you know, having people not be happy with what you do is not 
anything to do with you. you. That's none of your business if they're happy or not. And so anyway, I thought that realtor should have brought me to that community because it was exactly what I wanted. And he didn't because um, maybe he makes less if he brings you into a community and hands you off to another realtor. Well, anyway, the point is in reading the moment, I never um, mentioned that I didn't bring a realtor. And until the day with my pen in hand, I was signing the contract to build the house. And then I said to the sales guy, I said, we'll call him Georgie. I said, Georgie, I am pumped for this. And real quick before I sign this. Now, obviously, real estate guy's ready that he locks in his commission. I have a, I think I have like a $15,000 check in my hand. Like it's all ready. You know, the game is on. I'm ready to sign everything. But there's a moment to read. And I said, no. I didn't come in here with a realtor, even though I was working with one, because I know it would be like a ten to twelve thousand dollars less that this community, that you know, that your office and is going, would have made if I brought a realtor in here. And I said, so I'm not asking for twelve thousand dollars off this price right now, because I don't. That's that's not what I'm asking, but I am asking for a bone and some concessions. And now I haven't signed the paper yet. This is the moment. This is the moment of truth. And I said, how about, how about we throw in the lot for free? Which was a few thousand dollars. And this was when at the absolute plummet of the recession. So prices are up like 40% from what they were at the time. Which is another little note that when everything goes down, that's a time with your financial discipline and saving that you get everything in the world on sale. You get homes for sale, on sale, you get computers on sale, you get real, everything is for sale when the economy goes down. Well, anyway, so the economy went down, so I bought my house at dirt price. But anyway, I said, how about we throw in the lot for free because, you know, it's not $10,000, but it's it's in the neighborhood and he kind of like, kind of sighs. He goes, well, I'm going to have to make a call on this real quick. I said, that's cool. I'm chilling. So he goes off, private room gone 10 minutes, he comes back and he said, you know, my manager said, uh, we actually will give you that lot. And so I, I made, I saved it several thousand dollars because I read a moment and I knew the moment to ask. And life, a lot of life is learning just what is the moment right now? What is the moment that I'm in? Is it the right moment? Is it the wrong moment? See, the right words at the wrong time is the wrong action. The wrong words at the right time is the wrong action, but the right word at the right time, Solomon says it's like apples of silver on trays of gold or something like that, apples of gold on silver trays, meaning that your words, when they're well-placed properly, can make you a fortune. They can save you a fortune. And so anyway, reading moments, uh, again, I'm working on a whole uh, training, probably write a book on that subject just alone. Uh, the time to negotiate is before the co contract time to, you know, but to, before you hire somebody, here's another thing. You're hiring somebody. What's the time to really put the digs in? For instance, when we had our cleaners, um, we started, we had a, a bunch of cleaners come in every week. They cleaned the house entirely. Now it was their first time cleaning. Usually I take off when the cleaners, because there's vacuums and squeegees going and the whole house is getting spit shine. Normally I take off when the cleaners show up, but the first time the cleaners came, I deliberately stayed around. And what did I do? I deliberately, I went around every, you know, 30 minutes or so and just noticed little things, tiny little things 
Um, a corner of the carpet could have been cleaned a little better. The window was a little smeary in that corner. Um, there, the bathroom didn't get enough, didn't get enough washing or something. And I went around deliberately and I said, you know, this is beautiful here, but here, and I said, but here and here, and I went around and I deliberately, because I knew this was going to set the benchmark for how they would clean every freaking time for the next several years. They've been cleaning with us for years, but I knew from day one that if I wasn't there, they would speed through the process that would set the standard. And if I told them three or four or five weeks later to improve, it would be like, oh man, I gave them a standard from the start. Okay. Then I noticed that the staff swapped over and the main, you know, the queen cleaner was still there, but she had a couple new staff. And I noticed this one day. And this was recently, and I went around again, and I, and I wasn't making up issues. There were legitimate issues. There was a wrapper under the bed that wasn't cleaned out. There was um, a, a couple leaves from plants that were on the floor after they cleaned that that should have not been there. And so anyway, I went around again, and I took the queen over, and I said, these are new workers, and I, in my broken Spanish, which is always funny. But I said, I know these are new workers, and... However, like, and then I brought her over and I said, you see that? Like, that's not acceptable. You see that? That's not acceptable either. And, you know, we, this is a service, you know, it was chill. Like, we're friends with these people. We pay them well. We, we feed them. We give them drinks. We, you know, we're great to our staff. But at the same time, there's a moment to do that stuff. And if you don't keep quality control, quality dips. It's just how life is. And if you're going to be a leader, you know, it's just like Solomon I remember, I think it's in First or Second Kings when it says Solomon, or the Queen of Sheba came. She was mesmerized at his staff, at how at how they the deportment that they had towards her, at how clean everything was, at how the cupbearers were set up, at everything. There was just an amazement. You think that just happened, <laughs> right? So when I'm studying that stuff, I'm going, I don't think that just happened. I think, I think Solomon had a standard, and I think he had a very matter of fact standard that was that was that was promoted that was rewarded that was upheld and that's what kept his dynasty so thriving and so anyway um, i'm kind of overdoing this podcast when we get out here but there's times to read moments time to get concessions and then you know this is enough of this stuff hopefully there was some value here um real life value for your business for your life and that's all i know we'll check you out in the next podcast